Alonso in LA. Where are we, Iris? We're in downtown LA. Um, This is Hope and uh, Wilshire Boulevard, and we're like three blocks from a factory that we work with. Okay, and who's this sitting next to me? That's Charlie. (laughs) Hey, Charlie. Charlie's my my (laughs) co-pilot. Dog is my (laughs) co-pilot. Cool. You having a good time, Charlie? Always. If she gets to come along for the ride, she's yeah. like, I mean, that's what more? What more do you want when you're a dog? <laughs> and so, um, I can I can we go into your past? Like, sure. Yeah. So where, like, where where are you from? Did you grow up in LA? I grew up in LA in a really rural uh, part of the city. Well, it's it's technically in LA, but it's uh, it's called. Lopez Canyon. Okay. And it's uh, it's in the Angeles Forest. Okay. Um, where's that? Like, what direction from the city? It's like that way. So you have like the LA Basin, and then you have the Hollywood Hills, and then you have the Valley, and then you have the mountains range that goes behind the Valley, and that's where I grew up in that mountain range. All right. Cool. And and then and then what? You went to school out there. Um, kind of. I didn't really go to school. I kind of dropped out of high school and, uh, and started working immediately. That was really my, like, I wanted to, like, be in the world working yeah. with adults. Cool. I, I was, like, I was, I was, uh, I, I loved school. Always a big, big, uh, I don't know, kind of nerd, but, um, but I was more excited to, like, to work. And I kept going. I did go to school, but it wasn't like a four-year university. I, I went to school for eight years at night and in the morning, and then I just worked in the daytime. Right. So, like, where, where were you working? Um, I worked at... A f- First, I worked for a production company um, where we would do, like, documentary uh, kind of films, and I was, like, you know, kind of like an intern or... Whatever I held, I was a I was a grip girl. I was all kinds of things, a script reader, um, and then I was a photo agent and producer, and then I was a creative director, and then I've kind of been a creative director ever since. Okay, like so, creative director from in in making films. Right? No, that was um, from that was like films, and then I kind of oh, I worked for magazines. Like I used to work work for Nylon magazine and. Uh, so it was kind of like media, publishing, and then I got into uh, fashion. Okay, cool. And so, what, like this rural, what was it called again? Where you came from? Lopez Canyon. Lo- Lopez Canyon. The Angeles so. Forest. So yeah. it was like, it sounds like it's kind of like a, quite a long way away from here, though. It's like, like 30 minutes, yeah, but oh, okay. it's worlds apart in terms of, I mean, like, I didn't. That's I, that's why I can hardly ride a bike because I mean I can kind of ride a bike, but not so great because I grew up riding horses because there was nowhere to ride a bike. I mean I could have been a mountain bike rider, I guess, wow, but riding horses. It's, it's not. You don't learn to ride a. You learn to ride a bike on like a suburban sidewalk, you know. Okay. With like, but there weren't any sidewalks, so. 
riding horses sounds a lot better than riding bikes. Yeah, but of course I always wanted just to be like normal and be like, can I just go to the mall? <laughs> yeah. You know, and my parents were like, you have all this. It was like, so I just want to go to the mall. <laughs> so what? It was like you grew up on a farm, did you? It wasn't a farm. It was like a ranch more. Yeah. Um, but we had... Uh, we had um, yeah, like horses and and like some sheep. And, wow, yeah, it was really it was really pretty. And like, what were your parents doing there? Um, okay, so my mom's side of the family, they're they're like California homesteaders. Uh-huh. Um, so they when they came, what does that mean? California? That means that when California before California became a state. Uh-huh. Um, they, before California became a state, uh, they were basically asking anyone that could make it, you know, from the Midwest or the East to California to come and to, and if they made it there, they could claim land. So anyway, so they came, they picked the property up there because of the, it came with like a, there was like a spring, um, well, they, they, found a they found like a water source and they there were all these like supposedly gold mines and then they were given like 180 acres um in that zone and that's where my family's like everyone's lived there cool but Um, they're not the alonzos no those are the mexicans um so so what your mom your mom is mexican no my dad's mexican oh dad's mexican my dad and your and your mom was She's like uh, English, Irish, Uh maybe some German, French, according to the 23 and me. And like where in Mexico was your dad from? Northern Mexico. Um, Well, he was born here, but his family is from northern Mexico, kind of like outside of Monterey. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I spent a bit of time in Monterey. Okay, so you grew up on a ranch. Riding horse bikes. And then you ended up becoming a creative director um, in fashion. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And then, and then what happened? And then what happened? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Because like lots of people know this label, American Apparel, that you work with. Yeah. Was, was that like you were fairly influential there? Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So I started there in two thousand four when I think there was one store when I started um, and then uh, I was there for like 11 years uh-huh. uh, and that's where I met my business my current business partner But uh-huh. and what was your role there? so I was a creative director there okay. um, and kind of uh, you know just like I mean it was a startup really so we were doing you know, like building the brand basically and picking store locations like hiring staff and designing the product line and doing all the ads and doing the photography and early e-commerce, so designing the experience of the website. And um, I mean, the worst thing about it is that at the end of it, 5,000 garment workers in LA lost their jobs, like yeah. a quarter of a mile from here. You yeah. know, that that was like devastating to the industry and to those people that have never found the same kind of work, you yeah. know. Um, so, yeah. So but the, did you enjoy it? Like, was it an amazing place to be? I loved it. It, it yeah? was incredible. It was like a dream. It was a dream 
career opportunity. It was like, it was incredible. So, so like from in this 11 years that you were there, like what was that experience like? Like it went from what? One shot to 200 or something? To like 280, yeah. Um, so, went from, it, I mean, it was crazy. It was basically, I was in my, I wasn't even, it was like 23 years old. And we were all, I mean, I was on the older side of the group, you know what I mean? It was like, we, um... So, so the, the dude, Dove, right? Is that his name? Uh-huh. So, what, he was just a friend of yours, or...? No, I didn't know him. Um, he was a friend of my, my boss at the time. I used to work for, skate, like, a skate uh, streetwear company. Uh-huh. And that was also kind of down here. And... He was having financial trouble, and he said, hey, you should go meet my friend Dub. He said he'd give you a job. And I was like, I don't want to go work for... Like, I looked up the company, and it was like a wholesale t-shirt company. And I thought, I was like, how boring is that? Like, I want to work for a brand, you know? And then I went to the factory... And I met Dub, and he's like, no, we're opening stores, and and this is, like, let me show you the factory. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And I'm like, this is actually so cool that I was like, this is, this is like an incredible, like, I want to be here, and I want to be part of this thing that you're going to be doing. And he's like, cool, just, just come tomorrow. So I just started like that, basically. And it took, you know, a few months of me, like, I shadowed Dove, basically, and he... Um, so right now, by the way, we're in the, um, like, the fruit and vegetable district. It's like the, this is where people, look they do, like, spices and dried stuff. And this is also, like, where they make piñatas, so it's kind of, it's pretty crazy in that way. Amazing. Um, uh, so, um... Yeah, so I shadowed him and then kind of gained his trust and he showed me, he taught me how to use the camera properly. He taught me, you know, kind of gave me an insight into his his aesthetic and I was like, I got it. He trusted my taste. Um, and then... Uh, and then... Like, okay, let's divide and conquer. Like, go, I want to I open stores in New York, I want to open stores in all across Europe. So, so like, what was what was the philosophy at that point in time? Like, what were you guys set out to do? Um, his, you know, his main thing was, uh, was making clothes that people wanted to wear without exploiting people. Okay. It was all about the worker, you know? Um, And were you into that before that, or that kind of opened your mind up? Well, it was like, to me, it was like a no-brainer. It was like, how could... But of course, you know, like everyone, you kind of like, you still participate. It's like, yeah, I'd go to Zara and buy something, or I'd, you know, like I just wanted what I wanted as a young person, but I kind of... uh, Hard work and, and 
And uh, but I didn't until I worked in a factory. I didn't totally understand like the depth of it. You know. Um, You're listening to fuck with the future. You were talking. You were talking about American Apparel and how five thousand people lost their jobs. Mm. Yeah. So that was like. The, the the worst part the best part was that it was like a Willy Wonka like factory sort of experience where you could literally have an idea in the morning and have it <laughs> be realized by the afternoon and wow. test the saleability saleability of it in an actual store where you had an audience by the weekend and wow. that sort of like flexibility was really cool um and being you know there were in one building there were 5,000 people 30 uh, about 4,500 people or 4,200 people were garment workers and about 800 people were were kind of uh you know it was creatives and accounting and legal and all of that under one roof and that was really that was really amazing to walk through the cafeteria and you have, you know, factory workers uh, sharing a table with um, an accountant, sharing a table with a creative. Like, that is the dream where everyone is really on the same plane, you know? And it just taught me... It just opened my eyes beyond what you think of when you think of a sewing factory and it brought the individuality, which is obvious, but you don't always think about it. You don't make the connection until you really get to know people that are in those, uh, in that business, you know? So it was cool. Yeah. And, and like all of the, like speaking with Matthew about the whole marketing side of it, it sounded like it was pretty exciting. Like Mm -hmm. you guys could just because Dove was completely crazy. You guys could just do whatever the hell you wanted to. <laughs> it wasn't because he was crazy. It was because <laughs> he was he trusted us and uh-huh. because he knew that we had we were on the tip of good ideas all the time. And uh-huh. he... Um, and because it was a calculated risk. He said, how, yeah. how much could they fuck up? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm going to give them... It wasn't like we had a specific budget. It was that we had, like basically the we had the go ahead it would be like hey I have this idea I want to do this thing what do you think yeah I, I think as, as long as you don't drop the ball on other things I think you should do it you know so um having that like green light pretty much not all the time but 80% of the time is like unheard of you know for yeah. for young creatives it was really cool and and you were doing some pretty cutting edge stuff though hey um yeah I think we were I think that it was pretty progressive and pretty like um you know it was uh yeah I I do think it was pretty cutting edge in a lot of ways like Matthew mentioned how back then it was actually you know like radical to have a mixed-race couple in, in marketing collateral. I mean, I don't know if it was radical, but, right? you know, but it was... No. I think what was more radical is that we were diametrically opposed to 
retouching to faking it to like this whole you know the whole thing was we had we had the budget to pay our workers because we weren't spending millions and millions of dollars on creating these like marketing campaigns around these false realities it was like you want to make a campaign grab the nearest person to you that loves the clothes put them in the clothes pay no more than $50 an hour and shoot it yourself and you have the photos back in an hour and you can publish it the next hour and that was kind of that was very radical at the time and uh, also very kind of controversial because you would have a girl with cellulite or you would have um, you know someone with like pimples or you know whatever there was no airbrushing Um, first of all because we didn't believe in it but also just because like it's it's just you know it was, we were really about reality and that's something that has definitely like carried through to how we view things. Well, at the time, Dove soaps hadn't done their like everybody campaign where it was all these like you know girls with stretch marks and and uh, you know like moles and things like that. It ha- wasn't main the mainstream hadn't yet accepted it, and I think that people were shocked by the portrayal of reality and sexuality uh-huh. and you know just kind of. Uh, humanity in a way um, in an ad campaign of a mass brand Um, and I think that because it was it was shocking it was uncomfortable Uh you know for a lot of people to sort of address or embrace or see that or Uh whatever because they would prefer a 14 year old model who's being paid $10,000 and airbrushed to look like she's 30 in a dress that that costs, you know, like a $3,000 designer dress that no one could afford. It's like they preferred the fantasy somehow. But, um, so I think that, yeah, I think that it, maybe it did, I think it did have a little something to do with the, the kind of, um, uh, well, the sexuality and the, the, um, the fact that it was, you know, the company was known as being kind of sexualized in a way, I think, made it easier to, um, to have it. It's a really, really puritanical society. People in France didn't have an issue with this. Yeah. Yeah, It was Americans, Uh, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Germans looked good. Yeah. And it was like, so, so what was going on behind the scenes that you guys thought about? What were you actually thinking about that was it just to be controversial or like not at all no I mean part sometimes sometimes I think that Dove wanted to push the push those boundaries and didn't want to follow conventional you know societal norms because that's not like because it wouldn't it didn't feel authentic to him you know um Above all, he was committed to like portraying reality, and reality and sexuality are like you know, it's like we're it's like it's linked. Yeah. Um, you're staying here, Charlie. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of like this more linked to transparency than like. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, but that kind of stuff is really easy to criticize. And, uh-huh. and so then it like. It no longer... Does it? Does American Apparel still exist, or...? 
it went uh, down. Someone bought the brand. This yeah. company called Gildan brought the bought the brand, and now they have like an online store, and they do wholesale. But everything is made in sweatshops in Honduras. Uh -huh. So okay. So, uh, yeah. so no, but so, yes, but no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and and what what happened? Like it just. Uh, they bought it and they uh, they bought the brand and they said that they were planning to keep the factory going. But the first thing they did was lay off everyone and, and right. shut the factory down and move everything to Honduras. And that's it. Yeah, yeah, cool. And, <laughs> and, and so then you started something up of your own? Was that your next step or did you, what no, happened next? then I helped the workers unionize for about six months, worked on that basically was helping the workers kind of like fight back. I mean, most of the people that had been there for 10 to 15 years and this was the first time their, you know, wages and hours and all of that had been t like negatively touched. You know, our job, and this is what Dove, you know, told me from the beginning is like, your job as a creative is to do things so good that people will pay the proper price for it so that we can sustain the factory workers. And if we're ever short on money, guess what? It's your it's your salary that's going to get cut before we're going to even touch like a penny on the wage of a garment worker, okay. you know? Yeah. It was wow. It that's was such a it was, it was worker first, always. Um, so then took about six months off to sort of think about what was next. I interviewed with a bunch of companies. And then on the, on the flip side, it was like, okay, well, what do we know how to do? What do I know how to do? I know how to build brands. I know how to make things. I know all these people that make things in L.A. Um, and... I was also getting phone calls from all these factory workers and factories that had been uh, suppliers to American Apparel saying like, hey, do you know anyone that has any work? Like, I'm dying here. Like, I really need, I need to be working right now. Um, so I thought, well, how hard can it be to like, you know, I'm not really a designer, but I could come up with a few things and I have some friends that can come up with a few things. Caroline and I had been kind of, hey, we, we got fired around the same time and I had been fired, I got fired American Apparel when the first people took over and then I got rehired because everything spiraled out of control and then, and then I got fired again but in that time that I was rehired which was only three months um, Carolina and I because everyone had been fired so Carolina and I were like the two people that were kind of still there and we became really close then and really had each other's back during this really difficult difficult time um, what, what made you take the job back well because they the, they were already cutting the workers hours and yeah. the sales had slipped by like 25% over the course of the summer without Dove driving the sales yeah. you know they're like he's a maniac and I was like yeah that maniac drove sales so yeah. he knew yeah. he knew what it was doing in terms of that so um, went back to kind of help that and also our goal was to somehow get Dove back into the company to you know maybe even in a different capacity maybe maybe as a chief creative director and we had some business support I don't know but the but really he was the architect of this very complex business model um, with 10,000 global employees and you know it was really it was an art form that so few people 
new and he had really kind of mastered a big part of it so anyway so went back tried to help kind of like keep things afloat which in turn would help keep the workers afloat but then the first thing I saw was that they were just like treating the workers as like a line item in an excel spreadsheet when they were looking at their budget you know yeah. and that to me was just like they didn't even come to me to be like hey you've got like a 30 million dollar marketing budget you want to cut it in half because i would have been like done like we don't need billboards this month like yeah. pay the workers you know but they never did that and that really was like a big uh headbutting for me so anyway when we when we left we were kind of like okay so we have all these people calling us looking for work we know how to do this we don't want to be designers. Let's ask our friends to come up with some ideas and we'll just make some stuff and keep people busy and, and sell some things. And that was fine. Um, but then it was like, I just, I don't know. I just don't want to be a part of the, the one thing that was missing from American Apparel, I thought was that we didn't have, it was still, it was like, we weren't, we weren't attacking the, 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 ecological challenges uh-huh. in the industry because you know and I and totally understandably you can sometimes you can when, especially when a company is that big you can you could lose everything if you lose track of making enough money to keep this whole thing going you know and so we start we decided that unless we found a way to um, unless we found a way to sort of like counteract all of these you know all of the terrible the ter- the terrible wastefulness that happens in our industry unless we found a way to like counteract that we didn't want to, I'd rather I'd rather just like get a job at a at like you know some coffee shop and just like you know be as low impact as possible yeah. <laughs> you know so um, that's when we went down the path of like figuring out how to make uh, a 100% recycled cotton t-shirt utilizing waste um, and um, and that just opened up like a crazy it was like a rabbit hole of possibilities and uh, and then we came out at the other end like with this business model right okay which was called everybody worlds <laughs> And and why everybody would? Um, well, it started as everybody, and then we were trying to get everybody.com from this German guy, and then he's just like, you know, it, it wasn't gonna work. It was not, he wasn't doing anything with it, but he just didn't want to like let it go. And um, so then Caroline is like, what about? dot this what about dot that and she's like going through all the new dots that had come out she's like what about dot world I was like ooh everybody dot world and then we're like that could just be our business name because then it's more of a and it really it came around it didn't come around in any specific way but it was like the perfect meant to be I think sort of thing and it really spoke to our model um, and sort of like vision of kind of uniting all these people from all walks of life and um and, uh, you know, and then we kind of, like, built our, well, we had already decided on what our principles would be and what, what we were committed to, and, um, yeah. And, and just everybody, like, where did, what, like, because was that linked with the concept of the designers, or? Yeah, it was like, well, we can, I mean, it won't be designed, but it won't be, like, my brand, it won't be your brand, we'll have this person, we'll have that person, we'll have all these different people designing, and it was like, yeah, it'll be designed by everybody. And then it was like, oh, that's actually a really good name. Mm. Okay. okay, so 
So you started this um, label after the T-shirts. Quickly tell me, like, what is Everybody World? What's it about and what are you guys doing? Okay, so Everybody World is um, both a wholesale and a um, wholesale company and a brand. Um, we run our entire business based on the... I don't know, the pillars of workers, ecology, and ideas, meaning that those are the three things that we respect and uh, make sure are part of everything we do. Um, so we do what we call the trash tea, which is the recycled cotton t-shirt, which we then sell to people like for their band or for their companies, you know, so it's kind of a wholesale thing where they can customize um, our ethical or eco-friendly ethical basics and then we have the brand side of things where we invite all these different people from all over the world to design um, products so um, yeah we're almost two years old as of November November 11th 2018 will be our two year anniversary um, well the only other thing on everybody world was just the process of how you select your designers which I think is quite interesting well, there's not really a process. It's just uh, we meet people that we think are interesting and have a story to tell and have um, great taste and kind of good, like, positive energy. And, um, you know, we are the only rule that we have is that they can't be designers um, because the idea is to put the, the power of design into people that are have been wearing the clothes and have thought about why hasn't anyone done something like this or why are why is this like this and not like that um so instead of um so that's kind of our there isn't really a process per se but there's a, there's a there's a thought behind it cool yeah Right here. Uh -huh. These three words that I must say to you. My telephone skill, but I just call to say I love you. And this is I just call to say how much I You're listening to Fuck With The Future. to rent an apartment here. Uh -huh. um, but this building, all 14 floors, is packed with factories, which is amazing. Yeah, like, well. you could build an entire business just on these buildings, and just on these offices here. And on, I forget what floor it is, but I think it's the ninth floor. Carolina, my business partner, her dad had a factory on that, like in there, which is still going, and it's now her. Her dad's passed away, but he get, he left it to like his basically like his his longest time employee. Okay. The there for the longest time. Wow. Yeah. So it's cool. It's still going. 
It was called Jimmy's of California. Well, so these are the old sheets from from the Ace, and this is what we're turning them into. Wow. And where are these? Are these for you guys? Are you making them to give back to the Ace? Well, both. Uh, we're doing so now. We're doing a, cla a collaboration. That's like a uh, we're launching a collection with them. Okay. So we're going to London for the launch in uh, in November over Thanksgiving. Launching Ace Hotel there. Yeah, at the Ace Hotel there. It's kind of funny because it's like literally none of the sheets are from London. They're only from U.S. properties because that's logistically what makes sense. But and what's your story? Yeah, I have been lucky to work on all these Everybody World collaborations. All these so, weird projects. Yeah, it's like all the. He did the all towels. Kinds of did you see the patchwork and, towels? Yeah, 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 that's you. And yeah, the yeah. swimwear with Angela. So. Yeah. yeah. So these sheets were they? Were they originally not these colors? They've all been done. No, yeah. All of these were just white sheets that were from the hotel that they oh. throw away. All right. And then. Uh, and oh wow! And so you've sewed them over. I just assumed they were like this. But no, 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 no. All of this, like Iris found someone to quilt this. Oh wow! She's based in. Uh, she's like about an hour south of LA, and she we dyed the sheets here in LA, sent them to her, and then she quilted each one. Wow, they're beautiful, aren't they? Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, amazing. Like, this is one of the other designs she just came up with. Yeah. And then the towels as well are all from the hotel. They're recycled, and then we dye them. So these came white, and then we dyed them with the same bath as the sheets. And, like, and what's the... What kind of dyes do you use? Uh, pigment dye usually. So like, uh, we work with a couple different dye houses around LA. Okay. Um, but uh, usually we do like it's called an en an enzyme can also soften it a little bit. Okay. Because yeah, there's some pretty but. Oh, they're amazing, but yeah, like there's some pretty horrible guys out there. Hey, but you. Oh yeah, no, 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 yeah. There's some good resources in LA for sure. Yeah. There's one also called Caretex that uses. Um, really natural dyes. Okay. So what, what is a pigment dye made exactly? Um, basically there's like, um, there's a reactive dye. Um, it basically just affects the way the fabric is soaking in the color. Um, and a pigment dye, I believe, I may be mixing them up at this moment, uh, brings you more of like a soft soft color oh, yeah, and yeah. reactive will bring you more of like a vibrant okay okay yeah don't quote me on that <laughs> anniversary also wow. the brand is at two years now yeah and so are you so you're in-house or you work with these guys like what's your oh yeah i no, i work with uh, everybody world at the usually i meet iris at headquarters and find out whatever project she needs developed and then i work around all around LA at different factories with different pattern makers wow. yeah and you're and so you did all the because I saw the event you guys did in New York with all the towels okay. and so yeah so we worked on yeah we did that here in LA and then uh, that's actually the next factory you're going to now okay. is the factory who's, who worked I worked with on those towels um, and that was also a lot of trial and error before we figured out the best way to sew those um You're listening to Fuck With The Future. So basically, the minimum wage here is 
$12.50 an hour, which I know that's like nothing compared to Australia, but that's higher than it's ever been. And it's going up to $15 an hour. And a lot of brands, manufacturers, etc., are saying that it's going to hurt the manufacturing industry because, because it's more expensive. Yeah. But we happen to like embrace it and really think that it's an amazing thing and we think that we can't wait for it to go up to $15 an hour and we've built our entire business around being able to be flexible to accommodate price increase, wage increases and frankly it should really be $20 an hour for the kind of work that people are doing yeah. you know, it's extremely skilled and it's super difficult to sit at a sewing machine all day and you know, like I, I would rather pay a create like a twenty-year-old creative, um, ten dollars an hour, twelve dollars an hour, than a sixty-year-old garment worker who has thirty years' experience or whatever. Um, yeah. You know, that price. We're already putting it into practice with our business, but how do we do something that's dedicated? That's really like this is a case study. This is a real live business case study. It's not an academic conversation. This is a real open source case study in apparel manufacturing, in brand building, where we're showing how creativity, how, how, you know, maximizing creativity and technology can allow you to pay these kinds of wages and still be profitable, yep. you know, and also not exploit the environment, which is a part of the big pictures, because so many people are like, this is ruining my business, paying people so much, yep. and I think we should see it more as an opportunity. We're in California, one of the wealthiest states in the country, Silicon Valley, all of this technology, tech money, and these are people that need to manufacture things too, like, if, you know, I, I don't know if I told you this, but like, you know, 80% of our business right now is making stuff for, like, these tech companies, and it? yeah, it's really crazy how much stuff they need. Song. It's that baby, it's a shame He don't drink With me be an everlasting fire You're listening to Fuck With The Future Yeah, well, you're always so oh, 
Vanguard factory yeah. owner. That was pretty magical for me. I, was, <laughs> I didn't know Rebel guy. I thought we were going to a lift. And then you were like, this is my friend Ross. He's Hi. from Australia. Nice to meet you. Okay, very cool. I had lots of Australian friends uh, oh, yeah. when I was living in Asia for 10 years. Wow, cool. And we went on lots of motorcycle rides. <laughs> it was very cool. Beautiful outfit. Thank you. Did you make this one? Yeah, we produced this one here. Awesome. Actually, the designer is great in New York. Oh, really? <laughs> She's doing the Alnea and her team are doing the towels that cool. come here. So these are all the ace towels and then we dye them to the skin tones. So I was in a panel for Garmentory and they were talking about sustainability, ethical, and you know being responsible. So I had to keep my mouth shut about sustainability because the word is overused because it's just doesn't quite happen with the wastage that we have and I see it on a daily basis. So I just yeah. couldn't nine it. nine out of ten clients aren't thinking about the waste after yeah. what's being cut, right? Right. They can't. I guess So that's that's the, well, I don't know big, if they can. the big one for you. So like what? So people just buy a roll of fabric and then they get cut whatever they want cut and then they're like just deal with the Still with the waste for us. Yeah. yeah, right. So what? So what's your role exactly? Like you run a factory, basically. Well, I have my own brand, and so I did not want to be a part of the in dirty industry. So I've set my own platform to do this the best way that I know how. Because I've been in academia for like over a decade. Mm -hmm. So I thought there's a better way to do this like protecting the planet because I love the planet I cry when I watch Animal Planet and like all these I literally cry so this was a way for me to get out of it and do my own thing and take my own responsibility because you can't the group just can't I don't know if they can't but it's difficult when you see how like they need to meet their margins and they don't know what to do with the waste okay yeah it's it's, it's a difficult conversation when yeah. you see the reality of it. And if there is somebody that can really fix it, I don't think that they've done more of the reality of it. I think they've spoken more talking about it. So, so, so what normally happens? Like, I mean, typically someone's probably just buying fabric from wherever mm -hmm. and, and sending it to you as you're sewing, chopping things up, and then there's just a whole bunch of waste left over and no one cares about it? Is that the rough? Um, well, you're supposed to... Recycle, um, but I no, I don't. The recycling program is not that strong. Yes, say what you really think. But I don't have all of the um, information yeah. or you know the yeah. scientific like data on how yeah. to actually yeah. do it properly. And everyone talks about it, oh, but yeah. nothing's really. You you're never really seeing results. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just been all conversation. Yeah. So I don't. I think particularly if somebody came in and took the waste, like an artist, and like made scraps out of it, I think that that's better than you know putting it out in the trash. Oh, but totally there's right. not that many that actually can do that yeah. or have that creativity to use leftovers. Yeah. And there's and a lot of leftovers. There's a lot of those scraps, so what do you do with it? And do you, have you seen any useful ways of what to do with those scraps? Yeah, you know those ones in Asia, the mats that are knotted? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Those yeah. are scraps. Yeah. So cool. can you imagine if you made bed sheets out of it, yeah. blankets out of it, you know, mats yeah. or like, you know, 
sofas out of it, like yeah. actually using it for interiors, yeah. it could be really cool, but then that's labor intensive. Mm -hmm. So if there is some sort of machine that can just learn to knot, mm -hmm. which I feel like that's something that could be more efficient uh -huh. instead of like having like the human hands and doing this, like, you know, you need to be overseas for that labor cost. Yeah, yeah. So maybe something with that bags, you know. Uh -huh. So are you, and you're making some stuff with Iris? Are you making the towels? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah. So okay. that's the upcycling um, program. and. So what, what's, what's the story with them? So they take the towels from the Ace Hotel, yeah. and then we recut it here, and then we use it again, and then we put it back in the machine and make, like, a quilt. So it's reused, and then we send it to the dye house. And it's, then they become new towels. Yeah. Beautiful. Right? So they're not thrown and, away. Right. And so what? The hotels just throw away their towels after a while, do they? Yep. Yeah. And, and Iris knows all of how much towels are being thrown away, and that's why she started this. Um, and it leaves little scraps at the end because it's just the kind of the edges that we have to. But, I mean, that one, you know, hard to say, like, what you could do with those. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe, again, like making some interior like fixtures out of it or yeah. coverings like that could work um, but I just it's hard for me to discuss it because I don't have all like the full like you know yeah. the smartness to kind of say like what can you do with it uh, you know uh, like uh, someone like you with your background uh, um, maybe you uh, could be like oh this could be like um, you could do this I don't know um, I mean I think these things are all like just Solving problems, you know what I mean? It's like, I think quite often uh, you don't need a sort of like a specialist in it. Mm. Sometimes yeah. the simplest answer is the best one, you know what I mean? But like, we're all just trying to work it out. Right. I mean, that's kind of how when I created this was this idea that I had in my head, and yeah. I don't know if it was going to work or not yeah. because we're paying them hourly, we're not pushing volume, we're trying to do it like really ethically and mm -hmm. good practices. But the challenge is maintaining it because not many brands want to pay for that price. Yeah. But they say that they are ethical. Uh -huh. They say they're sustainable. Uh -huh. They say that they're responsible. Yeah. But when I actually give them the prize and this overhead to maintain a good practice and working environment, they start to freak out because the consumer can't really afford that yeah. price. Yeah. So it comes back again to making you know lower price production uh -huh. and skilled labor in the U.S. doesn't have that value. Yeah. And it starts again to cycle. It's an abusive cycle. Yeah. So it you know I start to get discouraged. Yeah. You're listening to fuck with the future. You have a demand, and if people knew that you could make a fair a fair wage eco-friendly, local, quick turnaround shirt for under $5, all, all right. said and done from the textile to the right. finishing, like ready to, ready to sell, I think that there would be a lot more business here. But the problem is you have, you know, this constituents, the, the factory owners basically, we just came from another factory where it's like, you're never gonna Google that factory. Right. They're an amazing factory right. and they're dying for work, but you're never gonna find them like typing on the internet. Now this song right here. <clears throat> do you love Jesus? Of course you do. So don't give me a mansion on top of a hill. Don't give me the world with the shell of the real. But just give me Savior. 
Okay, one last question. Tell me about the future. Like, where... Let's be optimistic. Mm-hmm. Where, where could the fashion industry go um, in the next 10 years? Um, the fashion industry could go to a non-exploitative, non-wasteful place where literally everything that is produced is done so without taking advantage of any human or the planet in the process. We can make things that are totally biodegradable. We can make things that are um, even compostable. We can make things that last lifetimes that are meant to be worn um, uh, more frequently and bought less frequently. Um, And we can pay people fair wages, living wages all over the world. Um, It just has to be everyone has to hold hands and do it together from the suppliers to the consumers. Um, So that's what we're thinking about, really. Yeah. Getting everyone on board. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Let's wrap it up there. Thank you so much. Ciao.